Thanks for tuning in again, everybody. We're back with your favorite podcast, Luca's Tigers and Bronze. Oh, my. So, Luca Nation, uh, I'll tell you, there's a, I mean, I enjoy every single episode we do, but t- today's episode is going to be a, a little bit more special, a little bit more near and dear to my heart. Uh, for one, we're winding down the year. Uh, it's been a huge year in the hobby. Uh, here I am talking, you know, I saw Josh uh, at National. I know Cage and, and, and Josh ran into each other. National he probably doesn't remember. Five years ago. <laughs> it, was, yeah. uh, it was lifetimes ago at this point. Lifetimes ago. Um, but we have what I think is someone who's a true collector and a true businessman on. Uh, and hopefully you, you guys in the audience get a chance to, you know, learn a little bit about what collecting means. And more importantly, you get some answers to, you know, what the direction of the hobby is. Uh, and the man who uh, may be in charge of guiding us in that direction. So there's so many topics we want to talk about. We're live. So if any of you guys are live and want to drop some questions, comments uh, right here, I'll, I'll be sure to feature them. But I wanted to kick off with this, Josh. So uh, shout out your Philly guy. I love that. Uh, you're a collector at heart. Like if you look at the wall behind you, right, that's that, as a collector. Like, And at the end of the day, we call this a hobby for a reason. It's because 96, 97 percent of people in it just truly love the things that they buy. Uh, and I, I want to ask you about your origin story, right? If that's okay, if we could take it all the way back there. Yeah. When did you start collecting and why? Yeah, no. I, uh, when I was um, in eight, uh, a radioactive spider bit me. And uh, no. Um, <laughs> well, you said origin story, so right, it's, right. It's about time uh, somebody gives you one of those. <laughs> this Maybe. is uh, this is by the way. This is like just, these are just the, this is the toy part of the collection. Sneakers are a whole another place, and cards are a whole another place, because I am. I think like many people, our well, many people generally, but certainly our um, generation. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a collector. When I was a kid, I collected hats and, and baseball jerseys and posters, and my whole room was covered with posters and Sports Illustrated covers, and would cut out pictures of of, uh, of magazines. I mean, I covered every square inch of my my uh, childhood room with sports pictures, including the ceiling. Uh, when my parents moved out of that house, it was disgusting, like ripping all the putty and tape and everything off the walls. But, you know, I'm a product of, of Nike, you know, 90s marketing, right, of, of Mars Blackman. And, and you know, uh, I'm not a role model and, uh, you know, and, and uh, fun, uh, you know, the, the fun police. Um, so, but I also grew up like, I have the exact same story as every other 43-year-old getting back into cards now and, and who collected sneakers at the time, because that was, you know, that was like the two big ones, right? When I was, 10 when I was 12, like the most important things were baseball cards and sneakers. And for sneakers, I couldn't afford, I mean, this, this, I've said this line more probably than anything else, which is that I grew up playing basketball when Jordan played. I always wanted Air Jordans. My mother never buy me Air Jordans. As soon as I got some money, I bought Air. Like we all have the exact same story on that side of it. And with trading cards, I have the exact same story as well, which is that I was, you know, couldn't have been more into trading cards in the heart of the junk wax era. My first card was 1983 Topps Milt Wilcox. I traded 12 bags of Doritos for it because I didn't have any cards to trade for it uh, at, at day camp. Um, and um, But I, I started high school in 91. And in 91, um, you know, cards were starting to be overproduced. And I was in high school and cards weren't cool anymore. And, you know, and, and then I kind of left them in my parents' basement for the past couple of decades, like like everyone else. So I am a, a product of, of that generation. I am very much the kind of every man for, for that, for that time. Well, I got to ask, right. Um, I had a, a one way to go. And you start with that. It's like, 
do you worry? Because obviously you're coming in now as the, you know, the, the poster child for what's going to come in the hobby in the next decade beyond, right? So it's funny. I find myself with the timeline you just gave, you're in your early to mid 40s, depending on where, where you want me to say. I don't want to call you, I don't yeah. want to make you sound older than you are. No, 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 I'm, let's call I'm, it early 40s. I'm 43. I'll be 44 in a couple of months. So. so there you go. So, so with that timeline, I find myself as one of the sole voices out there preaching a little bit of hesitancy, the over exuberance of the market, um, you know, back in February, March, right at the highs. And it's because I collected through the time you collected through. It's because I saw the 90s. It's because I saw, oh, yeah, we got to go chase Scott Erickson upper deck in 91, which is when you said you were collecting, right? I mean, like, I spent all my you, money on Kevin Moss. I didn't have any yeah, money. There you go. Moss was 90. So, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, so, but, but I guess the big question that people are going to have, especially the folks who are putting money in it like they were in the 80s when it blew up again, is yeah. what's different now? Yeah. Like, and since you're going to have an instrumental role in what's different, what's different? What kind of what 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 kind of assurances, non-assurances? What, what do you say to the people who have that money in there now to tell them, don't worry, those early 90s, that's not what's on the horizon for us. What's different? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, that's a massive question. And mm -hmm. there, there, there's a tremendous amount there. I, I wrote 53 pages about it, actually, which we can talk about. But we everyone can talk forever about the differences in in people and in companies in what someone will do versus what someone else will do yep. but let's just start with like the the fundamental difference in the times in the in the late 80s and early 90s as we were leading up to uh that that crash that happened um and and it, it, in the whole rise this was pre-internet there was no information there was no transparency of information Right, everybody thought they were the only one that had twelve Griffey eighty-nine upper decks. But guess yeah. what? Like we all had twelve Griffies, and today we have perfect transparency. There is there is infinite data. You obviously have the internet and everything that that goes with that. So just as fundamental as difference in in the times of of transparency of data, which is the key uh, factor that enables the people today, whether it's me, other people I work with or other companies to make decisions and learn from what happened in the past. Even if those, even if people back then had, let's say um, the right motives and, and were making the right business decisions, they didn't have the right data to make that decision anyway, because we were all blind to, to what was going on. So we're in a much better situation in order to, to correct the errors of the past or to not make them again. So that is fundamentally different. It's a much longer story about what we think we're going to do differently than what they did and, and how we look out for it. But look, we at least we have that to learn from and mm -hmm. to look at and think about. And it's a big part of what I've been talking about with our team and the people that I've been working with and will be working with moving forward for a long time, which is that we can't let that happen. And not only do we, can we not let that happen, it's our obligation to put the industry in a position that can let it flourish and, and let it grow. You know, if we're the manufacturers, if we're making cards, the only way we we grow is by the whole industry growing, right? We can't grow if 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 the if we if we're not bringing more people into it and, and that side of it. So it's a massively complicated and important question. So I, I like that that you started with it, but there's just a distinction between the the world. Yeah. And the people. Well, the world, even though you know there were a lot of people in it back then, 
it's a smaller world now, even with more yeah. people because of the internet, right? And you mm-hmm. know what your markets are, and you can trade, and you can sell. This thing called eBay and and every other market that's out there, you know, the growth of the auction houses. So you know the, uh, the there's liquidity now that there wasn't then. You know what I mean? Right. It used to be you wait for that Beckett to show up once a month, and oh my God, there's a down arrow. I better get rid of all these, and you can't. Good, Andrew. I don't want to step on toes. I have like ninety questions. But, but, well, uh, wait, hold on. But, <laughs> yeah, but guess what? Like even that example, the down arrow. All it told you was that it went down last month. It didn't last tell month. you that it's going down, and That's then right. every like just like the yeah. Like you had to like search to the, to the index to like see that. Yeah, everything yeah. about that. In seventh grade, there was this poster on the wall. It left an impression on me. And it was, um, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So so when I read your 53-page document, you know, I've always known that you understand culture really well. You know, you understand present day, you know, what's happening. You know, uh, StockX was an amazing example of that. Sneakers. You, You understand contemporary, you know, what is cool, what is culture. But do you see yourself as a bit of a historian as well? A little bit. Uh, You know, I'm uh, like a lot of collectors. I am slightly obsessive compulsive about those things that that I like and that I enjoy. Um, The nature of being a collector of, um, well, of, of anything really, is that there's really only so many ways to engage with that product or that thing that you collect. You can buy cards, you can trade them. How many times can you go and look at them? Well, a lot, because we do that. How many times can you rearrange them and put them in different boxes? And, but again, what, what opens up is that, so then you start, you want to learn everything about it and read everything about it and, and, and go through that. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a historian as much as I'm just a, you know, uh, addicted to, to cards and, and to the whole process and, and love it. And so whether it's, it's reading about old stuff or, or forward and, I mean, by the way, how many times do you go back and look at whether it's the old Beckett, the price of what something was and be like, God damn it, you know, I should have bought that then or, or, you know, which is. I shouldn't have sold that then. Right. Or I shouldn't have sold that or, right. (laughs) So there's something inherent in all of us in in being that sort of historian. But look, I'm an entrepreneur first and foremost, and I've started a, a bunch of businesses before StockX. StockX was the first one I was able to bring my personal passions together with, um, with the business side of it. But I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that this was a tremendous business opportunity and that that we couldn't um, apply those same principles and, and grow a real business here, which which involves learning everything you can possibly learn about the industry. So it, it just is that much more fun to do that when you love the stuff to begin with. So All right. So what yeah. changed in the last five or six years then, Josh? Right. So mm-hmm. so I, I try not to ask the same questions everybody else asks um, yeah. because you've been on a lot of shows. Right. So, you know, you're obsessed with it. You're a card guy. You know, I watched an interview with you uh, in August of this year where you kind of went on a rant about tops. And that's the headline. And when everybody posted, they talk about the rant. 15 minutes in the video, here's his rant about tops. But you know what line stuck out to me? Yeah, you're an entrepreneur and you sold candy and you did all that fun stuff and everybody talked about that. The line stuck out to me was this was 2016. He said cards are dead, right? Because you were talking about st- you were talking about sneakers. You were talking about like moving into what you were. He said cards are dead. So if cards were dead six years ago, what's changed? Yeah, so it's they're dead till they're alive again, Cage. I love the fact that first of all, it took a while, I think, for someone to find that. Um <laughs> and I was kind of waiting for people to find it. I then put the link to it in my white paper uh, yeah. and put a and put a screenshot of it as well. Of um 
I was very fortunate and uh, to be asked to give a TED talk, um, and that was like big TED, not TEDx, which is you know a, a pretty uh, prestigious thing and very rare. Yep. Um, I was um, I was able to give a TED talk about the sneaker industry right before we launched StockX, which was yep. great. It kind of solidified me as a thought leader in the space and was able to I could really articulate a lot of the thoughts I was having about cards. There's so many similarities in trading cards right now and sneakers back in in 2015 16 yep. when we were concepting StockX and launching it. And um, the reality of that line was it was as much cadence as yep. it was fact yep. right and in full transparency i wasn't back in the card market correct yet. you know yep. it was i was talking about my own personal uh story josh and, i tend to agree with you by the way yeah i don't think you were and, wrong right and and <laughs> and the amount of the amount of research i did in, in transparent was was not nearly uh, enough but it was enough to see that you know i couldn't find anyone really talking about cards yep. in my ecosystem or anything else and so it was kind of like a, a glib remark. Frankly, I wish I was buying cards back in 2015 as opposed to 2018. <laughs> um, and so the line I said was, it was, you know, and traded cards are long dead. It was really just making the cadence that when I was a kid, I was collecting, you know, which by the way, is a very similar, again, to our generation was candy cards, sneakers. Like that was kind of the entrepreneurial journey of a 10 year old back in, in 1988. So I think it's fair I, to say, by the way, yeah. if you look at the pulse now, you look at the market, you look at the, you know, the blood running through the veins of the hobby now compared to when you get, made that speech, it was dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, and but but it was. Um, it was a good example of how the world viewed trading cards then and how a lot of the world still views trading cards. And we're slowly starting to break that down. It's way different than it was then. But it's the reason why the white paper is called trading cards are cool again. Yep. And, you know, it's. I'm not surprising, but you know, the number of people that would like, you know, very just offhand say, Oh, well, trading cards have always been cool. You don't know what the I point is. <laughs> I was making a declarative statement that's not true yet. Trading cards are not yet fully integrated back into culture, not to the level that sneakers are. And when we get there, we're gonna be 10x, 20x, 100x the whole industry when it's truly part of culture. And we're get we're we're moving there. It's the same way of what happened with sneakers in that. And that's the the important part here, which is like, how does the world view trading cards? When yep. I gave the TED Talk in 2015, you can see the look of the people in the audience that when I start it, they think it's a joke. They, yeah. they literally are like sneakers, you know, and then you can see their expressions change as I'm talking about like, holy shit, this kid knows what he's talking about or, or this is an interesting market or how, you know, and that's what's happening right now in trading cards. I mean, how many people have you talked to in the last two years that you – showed them what was going on and the, the reaction was like, oh crap, maybe yeah. this isn't just like a right. you know, you're, you're an overgrown dead. kid. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Well, listen, if we're not going to call them dead, let's call them really old. And that's a nice transition into yeah. my next question for you because I've, I've, I've said this on our show a couple of times at the National. That was my first National, by the way. And I've been in a hobby a long time. I just never went to the National, right? Had kids, you know, was yeah. in school, whatever the story was. I, I went to the National the first time and I was surprised by it. I was surprised that it wasn't you know, as up to date as I thought it would be. I was surprised by a lack of, you know, deal flow. Dealers weren't buying as much. It was just, just the time was different than it was, you know, a couple months before. And I think that had yeah. a lot to do with it. And I walked and out, I, It I was got, an experiential, right? Like I, the vibes oh, were good, but it, was, it wasn't like you can't touch, right? You can't experience, yeah. you can't take, create content, you can't collab. So, but you know what's funny? Going, I left there and I was thinking to myself like, wow, maybe I should start selling some of my cards. Like this wasn't as, as, you know, as deal flowy as I thought it was going to be. Maybe I should start, selling some um 
And I walked out. I went past the whatnot bomb pop Michael Jordan giveaway truck. And I had my third free bomb pop. I'm sorry, guys. But, you know, whatever. I lost my voice a bunch of times. I, I, I had three bomb pops. Forgive me. Go and it. Josh was standing in front of the hotel right by this, right by the truck. And I walked up to Josh. I said, Josh, what do you think, man? Um, he's like, what do you think? They had no clue who I was. Just some fat guy bothering him while he's ready to get in his car and go to the airport. And I said, you know, it's, 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 uh, it wasn't as busy. It wasn't as cool. It wasn't as much happening as I thought there was going to be. What about you? And you know what you said? You said to me, I saw all I need to see. The average age of the person at this is decades younger than it was just a couple of years ago. And that's all I need to know. So why? Why is that relevant? Why is that important? Why is that a good reason why we're going to avoid the early 90s again? Why is that a good thing for the hobby? Yeah. When I was walking through the show in 2019, so 2019 was my second national. I went in 1990 when it was in Atlantic City uh, and then was out of the hobby for a while. And I was, so I was, in 2019, obviously, we didn't have one in 20 and then, uh, and then 2021. So, but in 2019, I was walking around with someone who has been in the hobby for a very long time. And the conversation literally was, yeah, the guy that set up, used to set up there, he died off. <laughs> that guy died off. That guy is probably going to die. Like, I mean, it was like, it was, it was so depressing and it was so, and you know, I'm a, I'm a sneaker guy. Everywhere I go, I look at people's feet first. I walk through airports. I walk through. So I, I, I gotta tell you, I was maybe the only one in the whole place wearing Jordans in, in 2019. And um, it was night and day at, at the national, um, you know, just the, the age, the, the energy, the demographic. And, and, um, you know, we can, we can say a lot about, um, uh, we can say a lot about Gary and a lot of people have, he's been saying this very specific thing for a long time, which is that, um, the kids of flipping sneakers will, would recognize that this is an easier market to engage in. And that's 100% what it is. You can't really make a living buying and selling sneakers. You can if you have access to it. That's a whole thing. But you can always jump into the market. There's always cards to, available to buy and sell. And the gen that generation, that generation finds that, right? It's, it is an easy way for those, I don't want to say wannabe entrepreneurs, but the, the entrepreneurs in training to engage in these markets and be part of it. And what's important is these are also the people that are driving culture. These are also the people that are buying Yeezys and Jordans and and uh, you know and products from from Murakami and Cause and all this stuff. And like the, what you want is that generation of kids growing up to want to be a part of that, want to engage in it. And money is cool. So we can argue and and people like different products and different brands and different whatever. But money is cool. And when those people can engage in that. Because in sneakers, it was always flipping a couple so you could buy others because you wanted that product. And so now you start to see that same thing as those people coming into it. It's okay that a lot of them are, are there just to make money or, or just to flip, right? Because what happens is they have followers that are their friends and their demographics and they're all creating content. These are all good things as you bring in the people that actually create culture. We're all old. You know, like I, no one really follows us. They don't care. They care about what the, the coolest 18 year old kid they know is, or the coolest 23 year old kid. Like, that's what matters. So if we can somehow figure out how to get more girls in this, we can somehow get more women in like, then it's over. It, it, Yam says that as well. I mean, he says his fourth grader and many of his buddies, they want two things for, for the holidays for cards and Oculus. Yeah. Right. To in, create content. I want to ask you about that. And I want to ask you almost as like kind of like a mentor, right? So I don't know necessarily how to word this, but like 
I t- try to toe this line. And I don't think I do a great job either. We have a show where audience has grown. So I understand that we have some influence. I don't like the word influencer, but I, I think we all have influence. Sure. What What is the role or what is the right way for an influencer to behave in this hobby? Because you see it's so polarizing, right? People understand that influencers bring with them a huge audience. Good for the hobby. A lot more of but then it moves prices. It makes wax so expensive, makes it inaccessible. So it's like this really weird line that's constantly moving. And I'm curious, like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So it's a really interesting point because a year ago, the market was way more sensitive to that. I think if nothing else, or what happened over this last year is the market stabilized it got to a place where it's not overreactive where people understand that just because any one person, whether it's Gary or somebody else says they like something, it, it doesn't change the fundamentals of that card. It doesn't change the property report. doesn't change whether that person is good or bad. And, um, and a lot of that was happening. Look, all of this is supply and demand at its most, most basic, right? This is econ one. It couldn't be any, any more basic and supply is a fixed amount. And because of the nature of trading cards, we generally know what that is, or we at least know what the graded pop report is, right? That's great. Also a fundamental difference between the nineties and now is having pop reports, having graded cards, but demand is not a, a fixed quantity. Demand is amorphous, right? Why people like things. It, it's, there's a million different reasons because somebody you follow because an influencer likes it is a reason that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but markets get smarter. And I think what we've seen is that our market has gotten a lot smarter. We're way less overreactive to influencers. And by the way, we're less, way less overreactive to single game performance. Used to see this last year or before the pandemic when, you know, somebody would go off for 35 points and then everybody would bowl. I mean, bowl, bowl the, being the, bowl, like bowl the, effect. the pinnacle can, like example, right? Can hey, someone make a grand, Devontae Graham dropped 40 and some fat guy went out and bought every one of his cards he could find. Cage Cage used to sweep the eBay floor of $30 PSA 10s. Every Devontae Graham I could get. Come on, that's mine. Let's go. I got some Devontae Graham to sell off to you if you're still looking, right? Exactly. I'll take them. them. We are way less overreactive, and that's a good thing. Markets learn, markets mature, and and it's a good thing that this market is mature. I mean, look, the charts will tell you that too, and it's really great because you you, you can't sustain that craziness we had. And if you take right. that craziness out, it's a pretty good looking chart. It's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty fundamentally sound chart, the, the card market over the last couple of years. Um, so my question for you is, uh, don't answer it this way, but I was going to ask it. It's a tough, like, like you said, Andrew, you don't have a word. I was going to ask how much do you bench press? But you don't have to tell me that because, you know, I'm not a workout person. So it wouldn't even impress me if it was 100 or 400 pounds. What I'm trying to get at is you got a lot of weight on your shoulders and I hope you're able to carry it. And the reason, you know, bench the press isn't a shoulder exercise. No, it's on your chest, right? I like, you know, I mean, you know, it's okay. on your chest, it's on your shoulders, Chris whatever. Would a fireman's press? I bench press in the metaverse, so it's fine. I can, nice. You bench know. <laughs> whatever you want. It's in the mm-hmm. matrix. So I ask it because it's funny. My, my own experience, right, is I went to an LCS this week that I've never been to before. You know, I happen to be a couple miles east of my normal locale. And I, I, I stopped in and, you know, it is an old store, right? The, the showcases are a mess. Right. I, I've seen this guy at shows before and he's selling wax. And I said, oh, I said, you know, how you doing? And I know it's been good for card stores the last couple of years. But even he, you know, a nice guy. I say, look, um, you know, it was really good, but it's not as good now. Right. The, I'm not getting the allocation that I was getting. 
see this product here. I used to get a case and a half, two cases. Now I'm getting a box, right? The distributors aren't giving me what I used to get. And I said, well, you know, so, so what do you see on the horizon? And this guy told me that Fanatics is going to save the day. He said, Fanatics is telling us that the hobby is going to grow threefold and Fanatics is going to get me product, right? So we'll stop there. That's one guy. The LCS, because I go to a, a guy every Friday, I open up something with my, my eight-year-old son. We started it when he was six. And every Friday, we open some form of wax, get it from my LCS and open it. He doesn't kill me. And he gets less and less and less. And he says the same thing. Don't worry about it. Fanatic's going to take care of me. Everything's going to be fine. Now, we happen to have some friends in the distributor world, right? They've been on the show, you know, some names you know, people you know. And they say, we're not afraid. Fanatics isn't going to kill the distributor. We happen to know some collectors who can't get wax. They can't go to Target anymore for fear of getting shot. And, uh, you know, the, uh, they say, don't worry about it. Fanatics is going to go direct to consumer, right? I'm going to be able to just buy whatever I want straight from Fanatics. You guys are in a tough spot because there is no way that every one of these people at every level of the hobby can be made happy. So how much can you find in press? Because you got a lot of weight on your shoulders there. What do you say to all those people out there? Yeah. It's unbelievably fair um, to to acknowledge that and to to go down that that path. It is all of our obligations, everyone in the hobby, to care about the future of the hobby and 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 do that. Um, and allocations are not a, a cure all for that. Um, our goal, and, and by the way, there's a, there's an important distinction here between the way that you phrase that of the guy said, Oh, uh, fanatics, I don't know. I promised they're going to three X the hobby. No, <laughs> we don't, we don't know. We, we I don't we know don't if this know. guy knows what his goal, name is. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't hold but, him to it. Yeah. But <laughs> the, well, first of all, there's, there, there shouldn't be anyone else sort of talking on behalf of, of, uh, of this part of the business other than me. Um, and, um, and so anyone else that they're talking to is, well, I don't know where that that's coming from, but I will say that, um, our goal is absolutely to, to grow the whole hobby. And whether that means we three X in a year or 10 X in five years, or who knows, right? It's, it's all in there. The, the, the important section of the white paper is section four, where we talk about the, um, the catch 22 of trying to grow the whole hobby while maintaining the long-term value of the product. And if I have to choose one or the other, I'm going to choose maintaining the long-term value of the product because long-term that will grow the hobby more than short-term growing the hobby. Um, allocations are an issue and will continue to be an issue because of exactly that. We we would love for uh, to, to, to bring in more people in the hobby to sell more product. We, our business is, is a retail business, right? Or a wholesale, but retail business. We have to sell product in order to grow. It's not a secondary market business the way that the resellers are there. Um, but may, we have to make product that holds its value over time. If we don't, then we're just in, we're making, we're making Cheerios. We're making, you right. know, we're, we're Mattel and we're, we're making, uh, you know, $10 toys. It, it, it's not the, not the same industry. We're making collectibles. We're making unique products that we're so fortunate to get to, to create products that are, and I think this is the key to all of it, is that they're equal parts, consumer good and financial assets. And we have to be true to both of those and give this a 
million opportunities in terms of how you grow the market to be able to do that. Everybody in the, in the ecosystem today, all of the, all of the roles will all still exist. Printers, manufacturers, distributors, hobby shops, um, you know, graders, breakers, all those are, will still exist. My guess is that people will become innovative and there will be even more roles, jobs, you know, parts of the industry that come up. But for anyone who's not focused on the future and long-term growth and who's not willing to embrace change and do that, those are the people who are going to get left behind as, as part of that. And it's just the same in, in, in every industry as, as change happens and we all embrace technology and data. This industry is behind the eight ball in terms of use of data, use of technology, when you compare it to just about any other industry that's even remotely close to that, yep. which is great. It gives us a lot of opportunity, but you know, it's the same way that we're not going to go back to using the up and down arrows and Beckett's, right? Like we're going to continue to move forward. And I think the guys who've been creating data-driven analytics, whether it's uh, card ladder, sports card investor, all, it's great. We're showing like, there's a perfect example of how we're all better off than using up and down arrows from, from Beckett. And that's what's going to happen from, you know, change in, in our part of, of the world is all, which is, look, this is all a long way to say that no one knows how it's going to play out exactly. But I think we have a pretty good understanding of the issues. And we have to be able to balance that and, and, and work with the people in the ecosystem. The high level I'm hearing. Yeah, last point on this. Hobby shops are, I think, in my opinion, I think they're kind of the key to everything. Um, I was in LA this past week and I stopped by Burbank and, you know, I've known Rob forever and for forever at this point. And he's loves to, to call me out and, and, uh, uh, and talk it. So, you know, but I hadn't seen the new layout. It's great. It's really, really great. And there's something for everyone. There's price points for everyone. It's clean. It's inviting. It's welcoming. Everybody walking there is, is smiling and welcoming. Like it's exactly how a card shop should be. And I got there and he said the, the night before they had kids night, right? Like this is what, we, like the only way the whole hobby grows is people. There has to be more people that comes into the hobby. So what can we all do to bring in more people to the hobby? That's how this whole thing grows. I'm glad you asked me. I'm glad you asked me because <laughs> I have a brilliant idea. I'm going to tell you that I hope Rob somehow listens to this episode. So do you guys remember Bar Rescue with John Taffer? Oh, your brilliant I idea? I, I'm going to mute you. Don't make me do this. I would love to see Rob go around the country and do. You want to you go, Kate? You want to go, Kate? No. LCS no, Rescue. A yeah. YouTube show. Because he's built that, right? And he knows. Yeah. He knows. the. I would love to see a hobby rescue with Rob yeah. as the host. And Josh, you know what's <laughs> funny about that is? What's funny is you're a million percent right. Because what you're saying to folks is twofold. Number one, you have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of that short-term gain for the long-term good of us all. And the hobby shops that fall into two categories, one, the ones that just want as much as they can get now to blow it out the door for as much profit as they can without worrying about 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, they're not going to make it, you know, because you're not, that's not the, the, the type of hobby that we're going to be fostering, right? And, and if you have to choose, it's going to be long-term versus short-term. But two, more importantly, the guys who are telling me that they expect fanatics to save them, to throw them a, a life vest. They're the ones that haven't touched the cards in their showcase in a decade. They're the ones that are not up on anything. Not, I asked them both, hey, I'm on Instagram. You know, you want you guys want to come on a podcast, talk about your show, give you oh no, I'm not on social. 
not at all. No, you don't have Facebook. You don't have anything. No, I'm not. You know, I'm, I just like to come in here. I put the baseball game on. And if somebody comes in and they walk in, you know, my lights are on. That's the point you're making, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, our, that's our culture right yeah. now. Like, yeah. no one's coming to save you. Yeah. No one's coming no. to save you. I will tell you, though, if you pick yourself up and you try to save yourself, there's a lot of people that will help. And I have experienced that. And I'll tell you. I grew up in the restaurant business, commodity, different. We worked with distributors, though. Uh, I, I don't have that much sympathy for business because I, I, I'm a meritocracy guy. Like, I think this, businesses just rise to the top. If you don't innovate, you die. It's it's not like it's nothing personal. Uh, and right. this is a business that I've seen my dad in our business. We've had ups and downs. So I've seen it. And I've seen when we've had success and when we've had failure. Uh, and even when we had failure, I understood that it was nothing personal and that we just needed to be better. And what can we do and what skills can we add? I come at this. You said something, right? Entrepreneurs in training. You said that. Uh, I kind of, that's where I come at this, man. I've been, I've been kind of like a fuck up, like uh, up until no year. Uh, like, no. That's how I see it. But like, uh, I, I've seen it in the sense, like, I've always gone back to the thing I do well, and that's flipping. And, you know, I used to buy and sell soccer cleats when I played soccer. And I would sell them and make money. I always come back to that. And you said entrepreneurs in training. So when I've lost money, and this is Cage and I go back and forth on this a lot. You know, he feels bad for the people that came in in February, March, bought at the top and now lost money. But I said, they've learned valuable lessons, right? And, and I've learned those lessons too when I say I'm a fuck up. Like, it's like, it's tongue in cheek because uh, I have a great life. I've been blessed. What advice do you have for those entrepreneurs in training, right? Two, two components, two groups. Some people that, you know, they got in at the right time and they're sitting on, you know, seven, eight, seven, maybe eight figures in card value. And, yeah. you know, they might be feeling themselves a little. And also the group that came in a little late and they got punched in the face harder than, you know, Jake Paul punched. Uh, what's his name? Wilder. Well, listen, it's easy. It was Tyron Woodley. But what he's going to oh, tell him is very easy. Don't worry. Ball Ball will have his day. So hold. Right. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it, it's it's a really, really good point because just because you bought cards in 2018 you know doesn't make you any smarter than the guy that bought cards in in 2021 right um you know it's just you know it's timing sometimes we win sometimes we lose um you know it's it's very clear to identify those people that walk around and think they're you know they're they're the man because you know they happen to to get in earlier than other people and have that um you know Nat's a good example. He's about the most humble person you can meet. And like, if you, you know, anyone who looks behind the curtain on his, his IG page and sees a ridiculous collection that he has, cause he's been in it buying, buying cards for years. So um, it's also super hard to, to look beyond, you know, where it's at right now. It's super hard to think that, you know, some of the cards that are, are crashing right now or have lost a lot of value can ever get back to where they were. But by the way, we thought the same thing when we were on the other side of it of like, God, I can't imagine, you know, LeBron top chrome tents ever being worth less than $40,000, right? Like, no, I'm not selling mine for $40,000. The number of people who passed up selling theirs at the peak because they thought, you know, that this is a, a $200,000 card. And maybe it is, right? Maybe it is in at some point and the next wave of people come in, you know, they all have, have the same uh, uh, interest in, in demand. So, um, but to the entrepreneurs in training and that, that concept, this is why sneakers, trading cards, candy, these, these were all things that were easily accessible to anybody that it, it is a meritocracy that anybody could go and, and, uh, and, you know, and buy cards and, and flip them and grade them and, 
and go through that process. It's not a terribly complex uh, and there's not a big barrier to entry because you have things at all different price points. Um, and that's a good thing. And, and that's, that's what makes this interesting that you don't have to go and, and build a website to be able to do that. Or you don't have to go to college and, and go to grad school and get a job to go do that. Like there, there's ways to do that and, and learn the basics, the core basics of business, which is simply just buying and selling, right? Customer service, sales, like those are the, the core things to just about any business at all. And, and trading cards do that. That's why trading cards are, are the best, man, like for, for that thing. And it creates that, that the father son bond, you know, through generations, like there's just a lot of parts of that of the reasons why that the growth has been happening and continues to happen. Our generation is now at the point where we have kids that are buying cards. I, my kids are nine and six, right? Like they like Pokemon cards. I don't even know how I, I don't never collected Pokemon cards, but they come on wanting to buy Pokemon cards and go through that. And that's awesome. I love doing that with them. So. I have another one of Kate's ideas. I want to hear your take on it. <laughs> By the way, I didn't, I didn't talk about your, your ideas. It's the first thing I said to Rob, I'm like, Hey, I was like, how many people are coming and asking you for help doing that? He's like, actually like hardly any, I was like, hold on. I was like, and these are the things that at, at, you know, at fanatics that we can start to like, there's other ways that we can help card shops besides just allocation. So Education. maybe we do something where, where we take Rob and Burbank and, and start to create a model that if people want to learn how to do that, that they can do that, right? I mean, there's there's other ways to, to help the industry besides just allocation. And that's what we need to get creative in, in as we as we grow the business to do that, because that's an important part of it. Can't just be at an allocation. Maybe you don't have to be that creative. Maybe just use some game used stuff in your cards, maybe. But you don't have to get maybe keep it basic. You know, <laughs> perfect example though of the catch twenty two of of the whole issue, right? It's like how many products do you want game used stuff in? Any right? Autos, right? You know, autos, sticker autos versus versus regular autos. Like, there's a process that that goes through there, right? There's only X number of players in the NFL in the NBA. They can only sign Y number of cards every year. At some point, I can't make any more cards before the players just say, no, I'm not signing 20,000 cards this year or whatever it is, right? So. Well, the good thing about that is you have their mom sign. Right. <laughs> well, I'm curious, and, and maybe this will kind of branch into digital, right? So I've always envisioned, I think this would be cool. Maybe some people don't. But like, uh, let's say you get a game-worn patch, right? Game-worn sign patch by Luca. And on the back, you have a little QR code, right? And that QR code now links to a digital collectible that the person owns, and it actually has a little bit of like a video attached. So you see what game that game used jerseys from. Is that, am I crazy? Is that where digital could go? How do you think about digital? Yeah. So let's let's dive into that. Okay. So clearly from a customer experience, that would be super cool. Yep. Right? No question. What has to go into to creating that? Well, you're gonna have to you're gonna you're gonna have to figure out all the just just matching up of the product to the game. Somebody's got to go through and find that film. Somebody's got to cut it. Somebody's got to put it in that that stand. Someone's got to maintain that website, that database of, of video clips, right? And someone's going to tag it to each code. Like there's a lot of logistic work that would go into doing that. And and it's not purely just a um, just a cost benefit analysis. That's part of it, right? But it's also just a prioritization issue, right? Like the, you know, we're looking, we're watching PSA in real time, go through their scale and growth and everyone's saying, when are they going to open up? When are they going to open up? Well, they have to prioritize 
the backlog. They have to prioritize adding capacity. They have to, to slowly get to that point. You can't go from zero to a thousand overnight. And, you know, it, it's just the, the, the core logistics of, and then get to all the like a million ideas that everybody has for PSA about how they should use AI or, or whether they should have pictures of every card and, and pictures of every card they grade and, and, and everything about that. So it's the same thing. Like, I think it's a, it's a really good idea. I think the logistics and making that happen and what you'd have to prioritize to get there is it's probably not something that happens anytime soon. Um, Can I ask but, just a quick you know, yeah. follow up on that? And then Kay drop popcorn and pass to you. Th then what is some low hanging fruit? You know, you mentioned customer service, you know, what is some low hanging fruit that could enhance a customer experience? That isn't like, I agree. That's, that's a mm -hmm. tough thing to do. That's digital with, with physical combined, that, that's yeah. a process. What, what's but, a by the way, it doesn't take away from it being a really good idea yeah. and it would be awesome from a customer standpoint. But, yeah. but you always want to knock out, you know, low, low hanging fruit. Yeah. I ask because I do feel like the customer in the hobby kind of gets the raw end of the deal. Maybe even last year, they see a lot of people get wealthy. I see business people get wealthy, but here they are waiting on redemptions from like 2001. Uh, they're getting the, the, the main card is not even player worn. You know, there's, and those are just two examples, but I feel like they get hit on a lot. Now they don't have grading open. What's a customer experience yeah. that's low hanging fruit that we could fix? Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a pretty broad question, right? Because you're, whether you're talking about in, in grading or in manufacturing or, or in, in other parts of the business, but I'll just give you just my own personal take on, on how we're starting to approach the industry. My dog got out again. It's unbelievable. It's all right. You want to take like, a second to yeah, yeah. dog back? No, no, I'll, I'll, it's fine. He's, we'll he's bring the dog on screen. We got a lot of dog lovers. In he's here. way too fast for me. I can't catch him by myself. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a. Is he a puppy? Let me see if he'll, if he'll jump up here. I can't believe he got out. He's, he's camera shy. This dog. So he, he's a, it's a toy poodle. He's 10 pounds. And they've told us that, that poodles are like the smartest dogs there are. And like, I can see him like thinking and, and, and. Did you yeah. say toy poodle? Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a toy poodle. He's, he's, he's you, 10 pounds. You have a lot of toys behind you that I'm like, toy poodle? I'm a... Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure he's not, not eating any toys. But anyway. Um, so the the dog is currently working on Andrew's QR code idea. Mm -hmm. Get him on its stat. Cage. <laughs> it's what, 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 dog, Josh, yeah. if you want to go grab the dog, Cage, pick one of the toys behind Josh that you want. I will. No, no, it. we're good. I'm telling you, it would, it would take forever for me to, to get him. So it, it's all good. But so so let's let, let's move this. So we don't yet, and this is an important part, right? So we don't yet make cards. Everyone's aware of the news that uh, we acquired the licenses for baseball, basketball, and football cards. But we don't yet make them. At some point soon, we will. Um, whether we have to wait till the current licenses expire or something else happens, and we're able to to take over that. But let's just thought let's say that tomorrow we were we were running basketball cards. Well. The first priority is making cards, distributing cards, right? And making that a fair and transparent process. But everybody in the industry today, they're, they're, they're doing that. It's not like we're starting from scratch, right? Cards are being made, cards are being sold, cards are being distributed. So, and by the way, the industry is, is, is quite good. And there's a lot of people that are buying cards. Everyone's very happy about it. So it's gotta be evolution not revolution we have to come in there and very slowly start to understand okay let's go deep in terms of what's actually going on and i think the starting point of that is understanding the product itself 
there's what 50 different basketball releases a year, 50 different baseball and football releases. That's a good thing. It gives us a lot of different levers to play with as we figure out. Let's just ask the question, is this the right product? Should we be making more high and more low and more in the middle? Right. And then what are the different ways that, that it gets distributed? The, this is the starting point before we even get in. So like, like there's a, there's a long way to go in, in terms of, of how we do this, but all that, that you mentioned, all the important things around autographs, redemptions, you guys see the, the Otani orange refractor one that's been going around in the last like day that someone pulled a, a 2018 Bowman Chrome yep. Otani yep. orange refractor redemption. And, and, Andrews, the one we got, one of our audience members sent us between uh, me and you, and right. they were all angry. And I said, but it's a, it's an expired redemption. Right. And, and top sent them some sort of like, $5 like, like yeah gift and look it's almost worse to do that i think <laughs> right then like it's a it's an expired redemption if you're opening yep. up packs of cards that are not this year you know that you, that could happen everyone just knows that if you get a redemption that's just that's the way it goes um should tops have to compensate this person twenty thousand dollars whatever that card's worth well just from a, a pure cost benefit like tops doesn't promise anyone twenty thousand dollars in a thing right there's a flip side they could have done more and my guess is after what happens you know and, and all the noise that they'll, they'll do something more but that's a really tough situation that everyone you know needs to understand it and it's just a shitty situation all the way around for all of them right so you know what, it, what what's the solution i don't know maybe you let the guy have access to, to product and and like what what can you do well i don't know next year when bowman chrome comes out maybe give them a case right something that actually doesn't cost tops anything but has a lot of value on the market like there's ways to to look at that and, and start to figure it out but yeah it's I, this whole thing I, is is it is it it's all it's all connected and and so these things have have reverberations if you, if you start to make those sort of decisions I mean, it, it happened with Panini too, so it's not just Tops. I mean, yeah. there's a guy that's in our audience. It's yeah. the number one Russell Westbrook collector who pulled an expired uh, redemption. I believe it was expired, if I could be mistaken. And they sent him a Jokic card. And his Instagram is number one Russell Westbrook collector. So uh, it was hilarious. Cage, any more any any more questions? I, I have a few, but you yeah, man. List. So the biggie, right? And I mean, you know, Josh. Josh has been great, and and you know, we do ask folks, hey, you know, anything off limits, you know. Josh could have been like, don't ask me about my career in law school. You know, I don't know where he learned the you economics. Don't, I don't tell you, that, that you don't want to hear about law school. <laughs> I can't believe you're a lawyer. You know my, you know my co-host is a lawyer? Cage lawyer? No. Yeah. His first his first career was getting sponsorship deals for UFC fighters. Facts. Well, getting them paid when the sponsor didn't pay them was more like it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I did not, I'm not really a lawyer, but I did sit at Holiday and Express last night. So that's why you're getting good questions. So, so the, the, the main one is this, right? So two things you said. One, we got to bring people into the hobby, right? That's the lifeblood, bringing more people into the hobby. And two, I love this. It's evolution, not revolution. Love it. And here's why. We literally yesterday talked to the guys from MySlabs. Been around for a while. They got a cool, you know, innovative new platform, very collector-friendly. And, you know, to a man, they'll tell you right now that they don't see a world where Bowman Chrome autos don't exist. They think that's going to happen. They think it's doesn't matter if it's Fanatics, doesn't matter if it's Tops, doesn't matter if it's Upper Deck, doesn't matter if it's Leaf, Sage, or Carvin's new thing, whatever it is he's doing with the weekends. Somehow he'll fit Infinity. Bowman Chrome autos into there, right? So, so that's what these guys believe. There's got to be a continuity of it. 
All right, so that's one. Two, I have friends who I tell about this hobby and they haven't jumped in yet. And when I told them today, one, one in particular today, that I was talking to you, he said, you know what'll get me back in the hobby? Tell, tell them to bring back some upper deck and some Fleer and the, the, the Skybox. Everybody's, everybody's a genius. Everybody's got something to say. Everybody's mm -hmm. got the whole deal. Now, I've made jokes. You don't listen regularly. I'm sure you, you, you chuckle and listen to me every now and again. But I've made jokes when people say, you know, hey, Fanatics is just going to buy this. Fanatics is just going to buy tops. They're going to buy this. They spent 10 times for the, more than the MLB license that it's ever been spent before. They got money to spend around. They're just going to do this. And I said, why? Like, how do you know they're not going to make their version of Prism? Maybe it'll be called Frism. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, obviously, it's a joke, but you know, people are. And maybe you don't have an answer, right? Because there are years to figure this out, and you're probably doing yeah. a lot of market research. But you know, what do you say when people say, "I, I don't need the answer. Yeah. I don't. I don't need to hear you buying up a deck or you buying tops because you might not even know what you're doing right now." But how, how do you answer that when people say, "Well, clearly, they're just going to buy tops." Yeah. Well, look. There's. Let's let's start with what's what's true. What's true is that we have the licenses for when the current licenses expire, mm -hmm. right? Topps has uh, two years left on baseball. Panini has four and change on basketball and football. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really want to be on the sidelines for uh, for any longer than, than we have to. And I think the brands are very strong. I, you know, I think that Topps baseball and, and whether you're playing on the Bowman Chrome is, you know, I think even more important than Bowman Chrome is, is Topps, right? Topps been baseball yeah. cards since 1952. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in an ideal world, we would find a way to, to do that. Um, we can't force that. Um, we can't force Tops to, to, to uh, sell the brand to us or sell the company to us. Um, and so, you know, the, the, and there's, a lot, there's just a lot of things that go into it. That's not a, it's not a simple thing um, to happen. But as a collector and as somebody um, who's leading this company, I would love to have those brands. And I would love to start working on those uh, sports sooner rather than later, right? So, yeah. um, and by the way, and we, there's a lot of resources at play to be able to do that. But, you know, just because we have baseball, basketball, football, um, it doesn't mean that those companies are out of business. They make other products and, and they can go out and sign other licenses, right? There's, there's still, you know, very well-functioning businesses that, that can go do that. So it's, you know, it's not a unilateral decision for us to say that that, that, uh, will or won't happen but you know again like as a as a collector even more so than anything else i would love to have all i would love to have panini prison basketball next to tops chrome basketball next to upper deck exquisite basketball like that would be you know that would be amazing and, and hopefully we can make that happen at some point but no idea no idea if if that's possible or or how quickly um but you in know, that scenario, do they complement each other? I'm just curious, Josh, because you've, you've, well, you've seen well, different think, collectibles. Well, but think about this, right? Today, there's what? There's about 50 different basketball sets for, for Panini Prism. So what if we got rid of, you know, I don't know, hoops and or Chronicles. Whatever. Yeah, They always Chronicles. use fat pictures of Zion. It makes right. no sense. Right. <laughs> and, and, and every day there's a, you know, there, whatever. You get rid of the, the bottom third of, you know, random Panini brands and you had Topps Chrome and uh, you know, an upper deck exquisite and, and, and skybox or, or whatever else. Right. Um, it's, it's about the brands. I, and by the way, to your point, I don't think we will ever see fanatics branded cards. That's not the intent. Um, but you never know. Right. Uh, I think that we'll, we'll create other brands if we don't have tops panini upper deck 
and the, the related brands that they have, I think that we would probably create other brands, but all that is, is TBD, you know, as we go down there, because we can't even begin the evolution process until we are actually in the driver's seat and have all the information, all the data to know what's going on. I mean, we want to grow the hobby, but we don't know how, exactly how many cars are being printed by, by Tops and Panini right now. We don't know, you know, what the sell through looks like. We don't know, you know, um, all of those things. Everybody says they want more allocations, but I don't know, maybe we're making too many cars right now. Maybe we're making not enough. I've said this before on a different podcast. And I think it's important. I have this idea and I have no idea if it's possible, but I have this idea that the market is smart enough to handle pure transparency in terms of printing cards that we could, we could tell everybody exactly how many cards are printed for every set in the, in the short term, the immediate reaction, there's, there'll be a lot of craziness, I think, as people start to digest that and, and truly understand it, because I mean, just look at, at how many graded, you know, Zion and, and Luca PSA tens are right. You're going to have a lot. There's going to be a lot that's printed, but I think that just in the same way that the, the in the last year, that the, industry has gotten smarter and more mature with regard to handling information that it comes with regard to influencers talking about it, game things, everything. I think the industry is, is smart enough and the, the market as a whole is smart enough to handle that information. And at the end of the day, transparency of information is good. It creates efficiencies. It creates uh, rational actors. It creates uh, a market that is, is healthy and able to grow. So, I have this idea. I would like to be able to do that. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know how long it would take to do that, right? But you know, this is it's just how I'm thinking about the, the possibilities of, of how you grow the industry. I want to be uh, I want to be generous because uh, I want to be respectful of your time because you've been very generous uh, with us. And I got to give a shout out. You know, you learn a lot about a man by the team that you know you work with. And I got to give Ace a shout out. Um, it was so smooth getting this uh, interview set up. So. I have a little longer form question and then one last quick one mm-hmm. uh, and cage if you have anything. Uh, but, but along with that transparency, you know, we do a show every day, Josh. And my, my goal is, you know, hopefully we could teach a man to fish type of thing. You know, I'm yes! going through this. I'm he learning. Did it. I'm he learning. Did it. He, Usually I say lead a man, lead a fish to water. I don't know why I say that. <laughs> Take a fish to water. <laughs> make, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> what was I saying? Uh, <laughs> my, my goal is to help people, right? Like I've made a lot of mistakes. I've, I've had some wins and I want to share what I'm doing as I'm going through it. It's we do it every day. And I say there's, you know, there's this, this decentralization that's going on of marketplaces, right? Mm-hmm. They're all free. Create an account, watch the auctions, get a pulse of the market. You should be an alt. You should be PWCC. You should be on Starstock. Uh, you should be on dibs. You should be, I, I'm sure I'm missing a, a ton here. Yeah. Uh, you should be on golden. Uh, you should have an account everywhere. Heritage, I just created one everywhere <laughs> because it's free. And I also say that about NFTs. Like, you should have a MetaMask wallet. I mean, there's probably 30 people, you know, boomers like age that I spent time on the phone with. Like, this is how you buy Ethereum. This is how you set up your MetaMask. Create a Top Shot account. Create a Panini Direct account. So, like, I think that there needs to be more of that, right? And I'm curious your take on digital collectibles and NFTs. And it kind of goes back to what you said with the market could handle a ton of transparency. With every NFT project, you know how many are in the supply. Yeah. Every single time Panini releases a Panini Direct NFT, you know it's numbered out of 
1,000, 3,000, 500. And it's the best thing ever. Now you only have to solve for demand. So, so I'm curious, what's your take on digital collectibles and NFTs? Yep. Well, at the macro level, not necessarily card specific, but at the macro level, NFTs are real. They're here to stay. They're not going anywhere. It's only, it's only the beginning. And, um, and I, I am 100% bought in um, that NFTs are going to be a huge part of our, our lives moving forward. Um, with regard to cards, um, I think we have a, a long way to go in terms of the digital cards becoming truly integrated into, at a strategic level, um, all releases. And it's something that we talk about all the time. And just like the core business, until we actually are in the driver's seat and understand um, what's out there, what's been created, what you know, what the the math looks like, what the financials look like. Um, I certainly don't have a uh, a strategy um, yet, but it's important that digital digital trading cards will absolutely continue to exist. They will continue to become uh, more strategically tied into physical cards. But for us not to to forget that we're a physical trading card company first and foremost. And that is the that is the industry, that is the product. The rest of it becomes corollary, it becomes companion. There's there's stuff to it that can be great. But at the, you know, every year, like the single card that should matter most should be whatever that that best, you know, physical card is, whatever that that one of one, you know, prism black of the best rookie or or you know, or or logo man of the of the best rookie, whatever it is, like that's that's the the industry we're in, and and it's important not only for moving forward, but to remember, you know, what this industry has been coming here because history is important, right? The nostalgia is important, and also comporting to what people have in their closets and what they've been collecting and all that is important because that's a big way of of moving forward. But you know, it's um it's a wild wild west right now, and I think to your point on uh on sort of teach a man to fish, I think the important part for both people coming into trading cards, but certainly for NFTs is to understand that these are investments and they absolutely could lose value and they absolutely could be worth a lot less. And you think that, you know, what happened in, in February, March to the trading card industry was, was rough. NFTs could very easily lose all of their value very quickly. Right? Overnight. I mean, yeah. And so just know that if you're buying any NFT, whether it's trading card or not, even if the most stable ones, um, it is absolutely a, a crapshoot and just know that, you know, just know you might lose your money on that and that that's, you might make a whole lot of money too, but you know, it's a, it's a very volatile thing. I I'm upset. Upset. Oh, here we upset. go. Let's go. I'm upset. I mean, the one thing, I mean, like I that Drake song, that, I'm upset. There's, there's not going to be, there's not going to be their own brands. I mean, I had so for national treasures. I mean, I had so, I had so many great names. That I was going to say, I mean, come on, Prism. You, you, you have Prism. one fan. Prism, Prism, one flashing fan. Breaks. Flashing breaks. I love these. Guys. I think it's the New worst York. name ever. <laughs> Prism <laughs> for national treasures. No, you don't want you don't know none of that. Chronicles. No. It sounds like we're, we're. It sounds like we're gonna have to create a, you know, an, an F brand somewhere for you. <laughs> yes. Just, uh, I just say F cards exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, just F F Andrew. Yeah, Gosh, what's yeah. what's going on behind you? So you got, I mean, you got a lot going on there. What 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 is all that? This is just a small glimpse into into the room and everything else. And this room is mainly just toys. I got a whole lot of sneakers, other places. I got cards in a whole nother room. I brought a couple cards to show, show us before Please. before we leave. Sweet. Um, 
this is uh, this is one of my, my favorite cards that I talked about in in the paper. Um, this is my uh, I think this is going to be a huge card. This is Kim Kardashian 2009 Upper Deck Leaf. autograph. Upper Deck? No, no, this is not Leaf. This is Upper Deck. Uh, uh, that looks way different. And this first, is first and perfect. So this one uh, on the this one is is full. This is a die cut number to fifty. Um, you know, both autographed. This was like a D list uh, set, two thousand nine Upper Deck Spectrum, Spectrum of the Stars. If you go look at the other people that were in this set, I mean, the definition of like D list stars, you wouldn't even recognize any of the names. But Kim Kardashian was in the set, signed them. I mean, it's Kim Kardashian. Is Pete, Dav- is there- is Pete, is Pete Davidson <laughs> in the set? I'm, I'm, ever, I'm, buy him one of, I'm buying him one of those and sending it to his house. If ever there was a card, like 12 in 2009. If ever there was a card that would have benefited from Andrew's idea of putting a QR code with a video clip on the back, <laughs> that's it right there. Yeah, right. Um, this is uh, important for a lot of reasons, but partly because I, I'm a huge believer in, in non-sport cards and in culture and in all the other important ones. Um, this is a card that uh, I've also showed a lot. The exact opposite end of Kim Kardashian uh, is this is an Abraham Lincoln rookie card. It is from 1887. Uh, It is what was called a trade card. I have, by the way, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. I have a whole bunch of others, but what it, and this is, you know, graded by PSA. This is a PSA seven, PSA seven, Abraham Lincoln from 1887 pencil drawn for like 400 bucks. This area right here, um, was used as uh, as like marketing. And so it's blank. And most of the ones that you see are going to be blank because they weren't used. Um, but it would say in here, like, you know, like, uh, you know, Washington Flower Company or something like right. that. Like it was, yep. it was literally a marketing card um, from, from the 80s. So, and then in between 1887 and Kim Kardashian is... Um, uh, is, uh, is Jimi Hendrix. Jimmy. And... Um, and that's in 68 and 69, there's a bunch of really amazing Hendrix cards. Um, this is a 69, but um, I, and Jimi Hendrix is as iconic as any as any athlete, as any person ever in the, in the history of the world. And so um, I think the rock cards from the 60s and 70s are, are pretty extraordinary. There's a Bob Dylan uh, rookie here. Here's a Led Zeppelin uh, rookie. Like this stuff is so cool. Um, and again, I just think from a, a collector standpoint, and you know, Carvin created you know that card with the weekend, and mm-hmm. we'll see what what he Infinite. does from a brand standpoint in terms of creating um, you know truly collectible trading cards moving forward for for non sports. Um, but I think that's a really sort of important part. So that's the the, the quick non sport collection. And I have one I have one uh, football set. Um, I got th- I got three cards to show off, and I've shown them on my Instagram. So this I'm card is a big one. That card is a big one, and then that's the really good one. Why did you go that year? I think there's something about 2018 prison. Cool. I just think there's something about it. I think the year, first of all, so many people came back in that year. So many people came back on on the back of Luke and Trey rookies. But the actual design of 2018 prison is this kind of like perfect border that enables the parallels to show so perfectly and so cleanly that it doesn't run into like i have like a 2019 here but like you have um you know you have team colors that sit in these on other cards 
And so uh, it just like, it looks awkward on parallels. The 2018 parallels just look clean on every color on every one. I just think there's something about that, that year in general. Listen, I'm glad you went with Brady because you went, you know, like in Dumb and Dumber, you know, you went and totally redeemed yourself because I was feeling bad about our, our generation here. I mean, you got, Kim you got Lincoln, you know, and then the last generation Lincoln, had, had Woodstock, Hendricks, Led Zeppelin, right? And and what do we have to – Kim Kardashian? Yeah. Can I real quick on Kim Kardashian because I'm not a fan, but they – dude, that whole family is super smart from a business standpoint. And don't be surprised if Kim is president one day. Because she's getting her law degree. You can hate all you want, but I think it's important to be a dude. Supply and demand, right? Tell me I'm Fletcher. wrong, Paige. You're wrong. The first time that, that she looks at this and has this and puts on her Instagram, oh, look, my rookie card, like, snap. This is a $100,000 card. It's, I mean, it's culture. It's culture. It matters. It matters. I learned a lot from Abe Lincoln. I learned uh, the book I read at the beginning of the year. It's Lincoln on Leadership. Because, he, dude, Cage, he went through so much, man. And he, faced he was so a vampire hunter. <laughs> I hate you sometimes. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I think the Kardashian play is actually pretty damn smart. And Yam Wax, you know, he's in the comments. He's the king of finding those oddball type plays that are the you know, pop culture, you know, not graded yet. Just making a market where a market doesn't exist. You know, being ahead of the times, right? That It, it really is a crazy thing. And, and to anybody who's out there who's watching this, you know, we didn't ask specifically what you'd say to these people, but you just answered it anyway. People who came in in the last 10 months, 12 months, who have seen the value go down, right? Well, what you've learned, as Andrew said, the education-wise is, you know, you don't just follow the herd, right? Because a lot of times it's going to, you know, lead to being in a down market. You know what you can do, though? It, it's not, oh, wow, I can't grade with PSA anymore. Oh, my base cards are not where I can make a flip. Find something. Find a Kim Kardashian card, right? Look, look you got kids. You know, my kids started playing some, you know, some game. They're like, oh, there are cards for this game. Mm-hmm. The other day, you know, Gary V announced that he's doing Hello Kitty NFTs this quarter coming up, right? And they're going to be a huge property. And I looked it up, and they're the second most valuable intellectual property to Pokemon. So right. I gave our audience Hello Kitty cards as a play. Upper Deck made Hello Kitty cards. That's right. They were like $10, those, right? They were nothing. And they were 10 bucks for a 12 packs. And to the, to the bigger <laughs> point we were talking about before, we need people. We need more people in the industry. And it's way easier to to get people who follow Kim Kardashian into cards by talking about Kim Kardashian cards than trying to convince them to like basketball cards. Right. Right. It just it's just not gonna happen. Right. So and, and it's the same thing across with for with music and, and fashion and every other part, right? I think ultimately, I don't know how long it takes, but I think we have trading cards for every walk of life. You have trading cards not only for rappers and musicians and but for for dentists and and architects and plumbers and and yeah the rapper card is going to be way more valuable than like the card for dentists but like there's gonna be card for dentists like it's just trading cards are historical records they're they're the historical records that uh reflect the people of our times that so there's a cool business i mean cage we've done what 533 34 episodes so we've gotten a chance to meet some people there's this cool company out of i think australia uh it's called one of one and what they do is you send them in like your kids like cleats or your kids bat from uh, their 12th season or their MVP season. Uh, kids like ten, eight, nine, 10 years old. And they'll get it, they'll take it, they'll cut it up and they'll make a card out of it. Right. And it, it makes a great holiday gift. Right. Yeah. Like you don't get to see your grandparents, but you can send them like a card of like uh, a bat from their grandson. So like I'm excited to gifts. Right. Like trading cards are 
a big industry, but I remember 500 days of summer gift giving and Hallmark is like an even bigger industry. So, and I think there's something cool where there could be a crossover. All of that, right. As cards become more ingrained in culture, truly part of culture. Those are the things that happen. And that that's how this whole industry, whole industry grows. We can't just go from 50 basketball sets to hundred basketball sets. Like that's not, that's not going to help anyone. So. So Andrew likes to ask a question to all of our guests, and never will it be more apropos than it is right now. You know, no matter who it is who comes on, whether it's somebody who's just started up a podcast or you know somebody who uh, who hit a big card, you name it. He asks them, "Hey, if tomorrow you woke up and you were the CEO of Fanatics, what would you do?" Right? And we find ourselves in an interesting spot where we get to ask the CEO of the sports card portion of Fanatics. What would you do? So you could take this any way you want because you are that guy, right? You could talk about something that if you had your way, it would happen, you know, like like any way it could be. It doesn't matter. You had no limitations on you or, you know, something that as a collector you'd want to see. You know, I don't want to put any shackles on you. Answer it however you like. Well, <laughs> I've already said a few things that uh, we could use as that answer, but. Because most people are like, you know, you know, I want to send cards to the moon. You know, they, they think you have much more power than you do. I mean, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, and it's a really good point, right? Um, nothing is a, you know, is unilateral. Nothing is, is a. Um, you know, a, a dictatorship that I can just will it to, to be. Magic um, wand. There's a lot of people that are involved in, in the company, in the industry, and, and there's a lot of people that, that um, there's a lot of people that, that uh, have a lot of stakeholders that are important to think about when you make those decisions, which is why it has to be evolution, not, not revolution, you know. Um, this past year at the National, um, none of this news had come out and it was amazing. All I did was shop for, <laughs> for four days. Yep. I just walked around a couple of people recognized me. I happy to, to talk to them, but I had no business obligations. I had nowhere to be, I had no activation to be a part of, and I just shopped. So I will give you the opposite, the opposite answer, which is if I wasn't the head of fanatics trading cards, <laughs> Um, then I could just go and, and, and shop again. And I don't, I don't think that's going to happen so much, uh, anymore. If I walk around card shows. Um, All right, guys, but, you heard it here. If you see Josh, leave Brittany alone. Uh, let him shop. <laughs> let, that's, <laughs> that, but that's the whole thing, right? Like, it's just, I just want to buy cards. I just want to buy cards. That's all we all want to do, right? By it's the way, I, I still buy cards every single day. There's the and, tagline, right? So we know yeah. we're in good hands because you're you're taking this from a collector standpoint, right? And you know, guys, if you take nothing away from this, right? It's you know, just like everybody loves having Nat at the helm of where he's at the helm. Well, Josh is clearly a collector. Look at the wall behind him, and that's just one wall of the house, right? And you're getting you know legitimate feedback here. Bear bricks. People like your bear bricks. They're getting comments on that. So. Um, what I love the most is if you had your way, it sounds like you'd get tops to the table in some way, shape or form and 100%. be able to carry that 70 year tradition going forward. If you had your way, you would see a perfect world where people have had that continuity of collecting grandfather to father to son, 
to the next generation can have that continuity. You'd be able to bring that Prism brand forward, whether through a licensing deal, through some form of strategic partnership. You'd be able to have a world where you're looking out for the collectors. And just to hear you talk about, uh-oh, phone's ringing here. Just to hear you, you talk about- You have a home phone? It's not a home phone. Someone, it's my wife's so, cell phone. Someone just asked this KHF leaker. No. So here, I'll, I'll take it home. I'll take it home. What I heard, and it's something Cage really instilled in me, uh, and it kind of, you touch on it, you didn't say it this way, but it's like, he always asks, are we having fun? Are you having fun, right? And at the end of the day, what I got out of this is like, I just want to, this hobby to be fun. I want people to enjoy themselves, understand that there's money involved, but I just want people to have fun and enjoy themselves because uh, it's collecting. It's what we love. So guys, an hour 15. Uh, I hope we have Josh on. I hope we did a good job. We had- Thank you for your time, man. We appreciate yeah. it. We're going to be busy yeah. as hell. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Listen, I, I appreciate it. And I do, I, that was, that's what I meant when I was saying the, I said the answer before, which is I wish I could have all the brands, right? I wish we could have the best of, of all brands for all of it and no idea if that's possible, but thank you for having me on. Um, this is great. You guys are, are, are looking at this, I think the right way for how um, content producers and how people in the, in the hobby should be asking the questions of the people that are a part of it. Right. It's, it's not just about us. It, it has to be, you guys asking the questions of not only me, but the people in my position everywhere else. And it's a, all this is about transparency of information. It, it, it's, it's good for everybody. It's good for every, which is why I said earlier, there's no question that, that I won't ask. There's certain things that I just don't know the answer to yet, but there's nothing that we won't answer. There's nothing that we won't answer. We have to be open and, and talk about all this. So, and but lastly, anyway. thank you to our audience. Um, you guys, when we started the show you know, a year and change ago, we were scraping and clawing for guests. We had like five listens the first day, and we've come a long way since then. And, and it's truly a testament to the support and uh, you guys tuning in and you guys telling us what questions that you're interested in and giving us a pulse on uh, you know what the hobby is all about. So thank you all for joining us live. Thank you all for listening. We love you, and, Josh. Thank and you we so love you. I'm holidays. not giving up. I'm not giving up on Frism for you guys. I know you want it. I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna keep Frism alive. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now ah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.